everybody. Whoa, it's good to see all you guys. I am so excited to be back at Bruce Hall and to see all of your faces, to speak to you tonight. I just want to say welcome. And uh, as they said, yeah, my name is Corey Schumacher. I'm one of the many, many staff who are here. And uh, I've been, this will be my ninth year, I guess, on staff with crew, and I love my job. I'll probably say a little bit more about myself next week. Uh, for now, I just want to personally welcome all of you guys. And uh, to all the returners, welcome back. It's good to see you again. And all to the, to the new students. Any, any new students here tonight? Yeah. Welcome to you as well. Um, we hope that crew could be a, a place for you uh, to grow and be challenged in your walk with Jesus. Um, and even if you're someone who doesn't consider yourself to be a Christian, um, we hope that crew could be a safe place for you to explore your questions. And if you're just checking things out tonight, uh, we want you to know um, just a couple little things. Uh, first of all, crew is, uh, no, we're not a church. Uh, we love the church. Uh, we have staff who are members of churches and we are in partnership with churches, but we're just not a church. So we would just encourage you um, to get involved with the church and to not make crew kind of your church. Uh, we hope you're involved with us, but we really think there's some things to be missing out on if you aren't also involved in the church. Uh, the other thing, too, is um, we're a missionary organization. We're worldwide. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about what we believe and what we're all about, you can go to our website at ballstatecrew.com, and on there you can learn more about us, our staff team. You can learn about um, our beliefs. We have our statement of faith posted. So if that's important to you, I invite you to check out our website. Um, but regardless of how you got into this room, um, I just want to say we're glad you're here, and we hope you come back. One of the things we like to do in crew, one of the things that's important to us is to open up the Bible and to uh, teach it and to study God's Word. And so if you brought a copy of your Bible, I would invite you to go ahead and open it uh, to the Gospel according to John chapter 10. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, whether on your phone uh, or a hard copy, we'll have the passage on the screen behind me. Well, nearly 2,400 years ago, uh, there was a well-known philosopher named Aristotle. He popularized a term known as eudaimonia. It's a Greek word. I'm guessing most of you don't know what that word means. It's a Greek word that means human flourishing, or basically happiness. And the, the, in our day, the, the phrase that best captures the meaning of eudaimonia is what we would call the good life. And that I'm sure we're more familiar with. Aristotle raised and tried to answer the question, what is the good life? Is there a way of life that objectively leads to human flourishing that we should all strive towards? Is there a higher meaning or purpose to life? Aristotle believed there was and devoted a lot of his work and philosophy to, to coming up with a system of ethics to explain that. And ever since or Aristotle's day, many philosophers from all different traditions and worldviews have been asking and answering that same question, what is the good life? And today there are, uh, you know, as many versions of the good life as there are people in the world, quite frankly. And the question is still being asked today, it's still relevant, not just by philosophers, however, but also by poets, musicians, artists. In recent decades, there have been scores, and I've looked at this, scores of songs, albums, books, 
movies, TV series, all entitled The Good Life. We are on a quest for the good life. Everybody wants to know and to live the good life, a life of human flourishing and happiness. And no doubt, each of you in this room have either asked yourself this question or you've faced this question in one way or another. You've all wrestled with, what is the good life? How, how do I live it? And who can take me there? Well, way before Aristotle, God himself was already answering this question. And he tells us that the good life is found in relation to him. Because, after all, he is the author of all life. But the problem that many of us face is that instead of looking to God through his son Jesus for the good life, we follow instead cheap, truncated substitutions of the life we were made for. We often think that following Jesus will restrict our freedom and thus lead us into an unhappy and dour existence. When the truth is, however, that the good life can be found only in Jesus. And since Jesus alone can provide the true life we need, we need to trust and follow him above all others. And if you're here tonight and you want to know why Jesus alone is worthy of your devotion and of your faith and of your trust, I would invite you to go ahead and read with me then in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, this figure of speech Jesus used with them But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for the men and women in this room who are here tonight. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. In Christ we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to show you from this passage three reasons why Jesus alone is worthy of our trust and why we should follow him above all others. And the first reason is because 
Left to ourselves, we are in mortal danger. Left to ourselves, we are in mortal danger. We're in danger from the world around us, and we're in danger from the wickedness within us. Consider the world around us. The center of this parable is about the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. And uh, during you know, this time in Israel, shepherding was a very common vocation. Uh, however, it was also a very dangerous place for sheep. Uh, one of the main reasons for that is in, in Israel, uh, a lot of the land was, was desolate wasteland, the desert. And the desert was not a very kind place to sheep. And so uh, villagers who lived near the desert would often use the desert as a kind of a, a pasture land for their sheep because there's a few months of the year where it would be the rainy season and there would be crops or uh, plants that would spring up and they could graze there and eat. However, most of the year, the desert was uh, lacking in water. It lacked food. There were dangers around every corner. Uh, it had, for example, cliffs all around that would drop sometimes as high as 1,000 feet and also predators like wolves. In the desert, sheep are defenseless and directionless. They are vulnerable, and without a shepherd to guide them, sheep will often make disastrous mistakes. On one occasion in eastern Turkey, this is a real story, there was a, a bunch of sheep in a pasture, and the shepherds took a breakfast break and kind of left them to roam. And uh, one of the sheep decided, I don't know why, but um, roamed off the cliff uh, 15, uh, 15 meters and uh, fell into a ravine and died. 400 other sheep followed that one sheep and plummeted to their deaths. An additional 1,100 sheep did the same, except they, didn't, they survived. And the reason they survived is because there was a big cushion of fluffy sheep to protect them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They estimated about $74,000 worth of damage uh, to their sheep. All because of one sheep. This is why sheep need shepherds. They need shepherds to guide them amidst dangerous terrain. In a similar way, you and I, we live in a world that is fraught with danger. Dangers on every side. We live in a modern desert. And we too are vulnerable and directionless. We're surrounded by pitfalls that threaten our very welfare. And in our vulnerability and ignorance, we repeatedly stumble into the pitfalls. I mean, just think for a moment about some of the pitfalls that surround you at Ball State here on campus. Consider that pornography, the pornography industry, is, which is objectifying women, promoting the, slave, the sex trafficking, and destroying marriages, yet 70% of men and 30% of women consume pornography. That's a huge pitfall. Or consider the substance abuse, alcohol, and drugs. Consider how they are major sources of addiction and poverty. And when you just read for one moment what's happening in the news, and you check what's trending on your Facebook newsfeed or Twitter. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's overwhelming. You cannot escape the senseless acts of violence that are all around us. This is, this is why we lock our doors at night. This is why we have to put passwords on our computers. We live in a world that is dangerous. So we are in danger from the world, but we are also in danger from the wickedness within. And actually, this is our greatest threat. Now, Jesus, if you look in the passage, he doesn't come right out and say it just like that. But if you look at verse 11 and in verses 17 and 18, where he calls himself the good shepherd, he says he lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what is he laying his life down for? 
What's their greatest threat? What is the danger that his death is meant to protect them from? Well, this question was already answered, actually, just a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So listen carefully as I read to you verses 16 through 20. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, listen carefully, that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You see, the greatest danger we face is the condemnation and judgment of God that we deserve because we have rejected him. Because instead of loving the light, we have loved the darkness. Instead of loving God, we have turned our backs on him. Instead of obeying God's laws, we have rebelled against them. And therefore, as a holy and just judge, God's righteous judgment awaits those who turn from him. And so instead of experiencing the good life that we were created for, in God's loving presence, we experience separation, pain, confusion, bondage, and ultimately, condemnation from God. That is why I say our greatest danger is not the world around us, though it is a danger, but the wickedness within. Because it's the wickedness in our hearts that brings upon us the eternal judgment of God. And if that weren't bad enough, we're completely powerless to fix it. We cannot fix this problem ourselves. And so my question tonight is, have you come to terms with your own mortal danger? Have you, have you come to terms with your own vulnerability in this broken world, but also your own culpability before a holy God? You see, we desperately need someone to lead us through the treacherous terrain back to the security of the good life we were made for. But we cannot trust ourselves. Once again, because left to ourselves, we find ourselves in mortal danger. So we should trust and follow Jesus. But the second reason we should trust and follow Jesus alone is because, quite frankly, there's no one else who can deliver. In this story, in the she- there's a shepherd and sheep, but there's two other characters Jesus mentions. Those are the, the, the thief or the robber and then the hired hand. And what would happen is in this community in ancient Israel, uh, shepherds would bring their sheep together into a, a common sheep pen or sheepfold. And so this would, this would contain sheep from many different shepherds. And you would have a door, and there would be a hired hand who would guard the door. But oftentimes there would be thieves or robbers who would sneak in a different way and steal the sheep. And Jesus says in verse 1 and in verse 10, one of the greatest problems shepherds contend with are the sheep, the, 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 the thieves, I mean. The thieves, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is actually speaking right now in this conversation to a group of people called the Pharisees. These are the ones who are listening to him. And he's basically saying that it's these people like them and those who came before him, namely these uh, Old Testament uh, leaders of Israel who were supposed to shepherd the people. And also, more recently, these messianic pretenders, people who were claiming to be the true king of Israel, then they would gather people 
start a revolt, basically uh, get squashed by the Roman government, and they would lead themselves and their followers to an early death. He's saying, listen, all who came before me, all these people are thieves and robbers. They destroy the sheep. And actually, in the Old Testament, God had some pretty harsh words to say for these leaders who were supposed to shepherd Israel, but instead um, abused and harmed them. And Jesus says, these are thieves and robbers. Hired hands, however, they're different. They were paid by the shepherds to guard the door of the sheep pen. They were authorized to watch over the sheep. However, they were not the true shepherds. They were basically like babysitters for sheep. They were sheep sitters. And uh, we, uh, the difference between a hired hand and a shepherd, obviously, is that they don't own the sheep. They don't care for the sheep. They don't love the sheep. Jesus states this in verses 12 and 13, if you can see. And then he says, when, when the hired hand is watching out for the sheep, they, they abandon them at the first sight of wolves. So when danger lurks, the hired hand is gone, nowhere to be found. And so the biggest problem with thieves and hired hands and all these people is that they ultimately cannot, do not protect the sheep, even if they appear to or make promises that they will. Outwardly, they look like shepherds, right? They posture themselves as shepherds. They walk and talk like shepherds, but they are not shepherds. The thieves abuse the sheep for their own benefit, and the hired hands take off at the first sign of danger. At the end of the day, the sheep are left defenseless and destroyed and scattered. In a similar need, in a similar way, our greatest need is for a true shepherd to lead us. But in our quest for the good life, we often find ourselves, quite frankly, don't we, trusting in a hired hand. We trust in people and things that can never deliver, even though they promise, or we think they promise, the good life. Just consider for a moment these lyrics from um, a song that was popular back in 2009 from the band called uh, One Republic. And it's a song called The Good Life. And he says in the first verse, he says, Woke up in London yesterday, found myself in the city near Piccadilly. Don't really know how I got here. I got some pictures on my phone, new names and numbers that I don't know, addressed to places like Abbey Road. Day turns to night, night turns to whatever we want. We're young enough to say, oh, this has got to be the good life. This has got to be the good life. This could really be a good life, a good life. Say, I got this feeling that you can't fight, like the city is on fire tonight. This could really be a good life, a good, good life. According to this band, One Republic, the good life is the cosmopolitan life, right? A life of traveling to cool places, meeting lots of new people, freedom to do as we please without real responsibility. Well, maybe that's not your version of the good life. It's just one. But what is your version of the good life? You know, some of us, what we do is we put our trust in relationships because we believe having romantic love or sex is our version of the good life. Others of us may put our trust in professors because academic success is our version of the good life, and we think they can take us there. We put our trust in our favorite athletes or coaches because victory is our version of the good life. We put our trust in political candidates because their vision for the country is our version of the good life. We put our trust in famous musicians or movie stars because being cool or popular or liked is our version of the good life. And we even put our trust in substances, not just people, things like drugs and alcohol, or even the pursuit of experiences that give us an adrenaline rush 
because our version of the good life is to escape the one we already have. We put the, our trust in the wrong people because we think that they can deliver the true life, but they don't. No other person can provide the good life that you desperately crave because no one else can deliver us from our greatest problem. And even if you've already decided to follow Jesus, you're already a, a Christian, you know, we too can face the temptation of, of looking to things other than Jesus to, to, for our, to find true life. And I know I do this. You know, I've been a Christian for years, and I still find myself often seeking to find life in good things, hobbies, people. And even though those are good and they have a purpose, they still don't meet my deepest needs which is the life I have in Jesus. These are all hired hands. They serve a purpose, but they cannot deliver. Jesus alone can truly deliver us. And that is the third reason we should trust and follow him alone, because he is the doorway to life. Jesus alone is the doorway to life. And he can do that because, number one, he protects us from our greatest danger, the one we talked about earlier, our sin against God and the condemnation that ensues because of it. You know, unlike the hired hands who abandon the sheep and thieves who ultimately destroy the sheep, Jesus, in this passage, is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Jesus delivers protection from our greatest danger. Remember in verses 17 and 18, when Jesus says that he willingly lays down his life for the sheep, he has authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. What this means, listen to this, is 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on our Roman cross, he was dying for his sheep in their place as their substitute. And he received all of the judgment and condemnation of God that our sin and rebellion deserved. He provided us not only with that, but with a perfect standing with God that we didn't deserve or earn. But Jesus didn't just make a way for us to be forgiven. Get this. Because of Jesus, the mortal danger that once threatened us became his actual fate on the cross. Because of that, Jesus has become our merciful doorway back to God so that we could experience the life we were created for. This is the picture Jesus is painting in this passage when he calls himself the door of the sheep and the good shepherd. In verse 10, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus delivers us not only from our greatest danger, but he delivers us into the pastures of life, the abundant life. You and I, we don't have to wait until we die to go to heaven to experience this life. We can experience it right now. We can experience life, the abundant life he came to give today. And in this way, Jesus is different from all the false shepherds and hired hands of Israel. Um, just for a second, consider this promise. God made a promise many years ago to the Israelites, his people in the Old Testament, that he would be their shepherd. Listen to this. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered 
on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from all the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall, grit, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring them back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise, and he is calling you and I to trust him and to follow him. As one writer put it, Jesus calls his followers not to a dour, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. Friends, I'm here to tell you that this is the good life Jesus gives. Who or what are you trusting in instead of Jesus to give you life? Last week, um, yeah, a friend of mine's wife, uh, her name is Nancy, was diagnosed with cancer, stage four, and the prognosis was that she was given three to six months to live. Um, she's undergone two rounds of chemotherapy already, and uh, she has a husband named Glenn, four children, ages um, six to 12. She's in her 40s, and she's on, on staff with crew in Indianapolis. She's a missionary. And this week, um, her husband, actually just a couple of days ago, Glenn, took a candid picture of her on her couch while she was writing a letter to her Facebook friends. And in this picture, um, she's lifting up her hands, and she's worshiping Jesus, singing the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And when I saw this picture, I cried. I couldn't help it because here I was looking at this beautiful picture of faith. I was blown away at the beauty of her trust. And I'm looking at a picture of a woman who's just been given three to six months to live. And what she wants to do with that time is sing to Jesus. In her letter to her friends, she wrote this. She said, God is good, so good. He is loving and kind and intimately acquainted with all of our ways. My prayer is that if you don't know him, you would ask him to reveal himself to you. My pr he promises that if we seek him, he, we will find him, if we seek him with all our hearts. And he always keeps his promises. Always. This is an example of someone who has grazed in the pastures of abundant life. And this is why Jesus is so worthy of our trust in our followership, and our obedience. He never abandons his sheep. He always provides for and protects them. He never abuses his authority to, or harm the sheep. He loves his sheep to the point where he was literally torn to pieces and bled and died on the cross, bearing the weight of our guilt and shame. And just as he had authority to lay down his life, he had authority to take it back up again in victory. And now he's gathering his sheep and leading them into the pastures of the good life, the life we were created for. What could
could possibly compete with Jesus. Seriously. Because Jesus alone provides the true life that we long for, we should trust in and follow him alone. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we worship you, and we thank you for the life that only you can give. We yield ourselves to you, and I pray for these students, Lord, that for anyone here who is uh, wrestling with this, anyone here is wrestling with their version of the good life, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Show them that you are worth it. Show them that you alone can lead them to the life we were meant to lead. And I pray, oh Lord, that you would uh, bless and pour out these students on their new year. I pray that this would be a great year for them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I want to say I sincerely hope you guys come back next week. And um, it's been a, a pleasure being up here tonight, but I'm hoping to see you again soon. Thank you.